Today, as we enter into this sermon, let's say a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate our minds and our hearts so that the words that you're hearing today from me wouldn't just be for me, but that God would speak his word to each of us. Let's pray. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you for every person here within the sound of my voice. And I pray, God, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit would want to say to your church today, that we'd have hands open to receive your good gifts. I pray that you would just meet us in ways that are personal and ways that we can be aware of you here with us. We invite you. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you've ever picked up um, a novel and you're not sure if you want to read it, you kind of look at the cover and you go, it looks interesting. And so you decide to read the first page. And on the first page, all of a sudden you're hooked. It says it was a dark and stormy night and there's a challenge that this person has to overcome. And you're wondering, can they do it? Will they do it? And you're sitting there in the bookstore and you read like the first few pages. You think I should probably buy this. But there's some of you out there, you know who you are, that don't actually want to know like or be surprised about what's going to happen in the book. I have friends like this. I don't know why they're like this, but they flip to the last couple pages. They don't want to go on the journey with the characters. They just want to like get to the end. And so they'll read the last couple pages and go, oh, it was a dark and stormy night at the beginning, but okay, the hero works it out. Everything's good. I can read it now. <laughs> so unless they know the end from the beginning, they won't even start to read the book. I'm not that kind of a reader. I want to be surprised. I want to go on the journey with, with the characters. But for those of you who like to flip to the end, um, don't be tempted to do that in today's sermon. <laughs> I think regardless of what kind of a reader we are, sometimes when it comes to the scripture, we flip to the end before we've gone on the adventure, before we've gone on the journey with the characters in the story. And today we're going to come to a passage that you've probably heard many times in Mark chapter 4. And the temptation will be to jump to the end, to watch the last five minutes of the movie, to read those last few pages of the book, and not to really experience what's going on in these people's lives. But today I want to ask you to just stay there page by page until we get to the end and see how God is present in the journey of his disciples in this story, Mark 4, and in our journey as his disciples here um, in present day. And so as we come to this passage, just come with new ears and new eyes to hear and to see what God might speak to you. Let's read it together. Mark chapter four. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
So coming back to our analogy of flipping to the end of the book, sometimes when we read a story like this <laughs> of the disciples in the boat and experiencing a storm, our temptation is to say, well, it's fine. It works out. Obviously, Jesus is going to calm the storm. It's all good. But I think for us to really understand what God might be speaking to us today, we need to understand what the disciples were experiencing when this um, story occurred. And so we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the plan. We're going to look at the panic. And we're going to look at the purpose. Let's start with the plan. So here's Jesus. The context of this passage in Mark chapter four is that they're hanging out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee was a very unusual body of water. It was positioned um, in almost like a bowl of mountains and cliffs all around so that the, the Sea of Galilee was in the middle. And in order to go anywhere around in Israel, you had to kind of join into the Sea of Galilee at some point. Now, we find Jesus in the beginning of Mark chapter four. He's on a, a little boat and he's preaching preaching to the crowds that came and he stands in that boat and because of the geographical uh, particularities of the Sea of Galilee the amplification of his voice occurs but from kind of bouncing off the way that the mountains and cliffs are situated in a bowl shape around the Sea of Galilee and so we find him here preaching all day long about God's kingdom what it's like to the people now Jesus was 100% God but he was also 100% human. That's the, the beauty and the mystery of the divine incarnation. And so we see Jesus' humanity kind of catching up with him here. And he spent the entire day preaching, giving his energy, loving the crowds, listening to the Father, and, and projecting his voice out to them. And he's tired. And so when we come to this passage in, in Mark 4, we find that Jesus has, has a plan. So he sends the crowds, they go home, and Jesus gets into a, this boat with his disciples. And he says to them, let's go. <laughs> so Jesus has a plan. He knows that they're going somewhere. He says, let's go to the other side. So it's evening now. It's getting dark. The disciples, many of them, have spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee, on the sea in general. A lot of them are fishermen, at least seven of them. So they know what they're doing when it comes to the sea. So they leave the crowd behind and they take Jesus along with them in their boat. Now, this is a beautiful thing. They have a plan. The plan's even God's plan. <laughs> it's Jesus' plan. Let's go to the other side, he says. The disciples are obeying him. The disciples are inviting Jesus into their boat. He says there's other boats with him, but Jesus wasn't in those boats. He's in this boat. So they do the right thing. <laughs> they have Jesus in their boat. Can't go wrong with that. They're obeying him. They're going to the other side. They're following his direction. They're taking him along with them. This sounds like a perfect plan. This sounds like the kind of plan that's going to go smoothly. And again, don't jump to the end of the story, even if you know it. Stay with us moment by moment with these disciples. Let's journey with them. So imagine you're one of these disciples. You've been with Jesus all day. You've been hearing him preach. You've been hearing him talk to you about the kingdom of God and what it's like. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he's always there. You're hearing his words echoing in your heart over and over. You're seeing crowds and how they respond to Jesus and how his popularity is growing. And you're learning more about who he is. So they have one revelation of who he is. They've seen him as the teacher. They've seen him as a preacher. They've seen him teaching. And so they know that he knows about God, that he knows about God's kingdom. 
and they trust him in that area. <laughs> and here we're going to see that the plan that they're expecting is to go over to the other side and probably catch up where they left off and continue to follow Jesus as he preaches and teaches to the crowds. But verse 37 is where things start to change. But have you ever had a plan? <laughs> or you felt like God had a plan for your life and it didn't quite work out that way? Maybe you thought, okay, by the time I'm such and such an age, I will have graduated with such and such a degree. Or I will have married, or I'll have this many kids, or I'll have a house, or I'll have this amount in my bank account, or I'm going to have that promotion. By the time I'm this age, by the time I'm in this stage of life, this is what I'm going to have. This is the plan. Or perhaps you've heard different sermons, and so you listen to them and you think, yes, okay, all right, A plus B equals C, one plus one equals two. All right, this is the way we're going. This is what God wants for my life. I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to... um, going to share my, start to share my faith, or I'm going to, I'm going to take that job that I feel God's encouraging me to do. I'm going to do that thing or speak to that person or enter that relationship. And, and we feel like, okay, this is God's plan. I'm obeying him. I'm following him. I'm trusting him. Things are going great. Jesus is in the boat with me. I have relationship with Jesus. I've invited him into my life, into my heart to be my Lord and savior. Things are going well. And then we have a verse 37 in our life. So for the disciples, it was a furious squall or a violent storm or however the version you're reading calls it. It says a furious storm comes up and waves start breaking over the boat so that it's nearly swamped. And this is where we're going to shift into our next point, which is panic. But before we do, I just want to pause and let us have a little discussion in our breakout rooms or in your homes. And I want you to ask yourself or ask each other, Have you ever had a plan that changed, (laughs) that didn't work out the way you thought it would? Have you ever had a dream that just didn't end up the way you wanted it to? Have you ever taken a step of faith to obey God and the results weren't quite what you expected? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? I want you to share about it. (laughs) Maybe it worked out better than you expected, or maybe you're still kind of wrestling that through. It's okay to be vulnerable about that. So let's discuss in our groups and then we'll come back together. So now that we're back and we've talked with each other about what the verse 37 in our lives are, let's continue and catch up with these disciples on their journey. So a furious storm comes up, the waves are breaking over the boat and it's nearly swamped. So imagine with me for a minute, these disciples. Now you need to know something about the Sea of Galilee and what makes it a special body of water. So the Sea of Galilee is about 680 feet below sea level. It's one of the lowest bodies of water in the whole world. Now, because of this and because of the conditions of there being hills and mountains all around, the cold and hot currents sometimes collide right there in the Sea of Galilee. And even today, unexpected storms can sometimes arise all the time there. So people warn others not to go out on the Sea of Galilee after two o'clock in the afternoon because of this phenomenon of the hot and cold currents colliding there. And so if you combine that with a storm front from the Mediterranean, what you really have is a recipe for a disaster. So this word squall that we see here in the NIV version is translated in Matthew's version of this story as, as an earthquake or in terms of what the Greek word means, or in um, 
in Mark's version, something like a hurricane. This is not a tiny storm, okay? This is not, uh-oh, I see a dark cloud coming or a tiny little bit of rain. No, this is like a hurricane. And these men, or many of them, uh, their, their office is the sea. They're fishermen. They spend all night um, fishing. They've seen bad storms before. So they're qualified to handle this, right? So... Jesus, don't worry about it. I've got this. (laughs) I'm guessing some of them were thinking at the beginning. But then all of a sudden, the waves started to break over the water, break over the boat. And it says they're nearly swamped. Like, I can imagine all of a sudden there's rain, a little bit of wind, and it starts to pick up. I don't know if you've ever been in a bad storm before. Sometimes it can seemingly come out of nowhere. And they're nearly swamped. They're trying to bail, bail themselves out of this boat. And they're trying to get command of this boat again. They're going to take back control. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Like, okay, you're headed in the right direction. It's where God wants you to be. And all of a sudden, you feel the wind of adversity. And all of a sudden, you feel the waves of trials and circumstances. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're going to drown, like you're nearly swamped. Like, okay, um, I don't know what's happening here, but suddenly my the water <laughs> that I was using to travel in, it's in my boat. And I don't think we're going to make it, God. And so the disciples find themselves in this kind of a place where The circumstances around them are incredibly intimidating. They're terrifying. It's a life or death situation. This is not a joke. This is real. (laughs) These are real people with real feelings, with real mortal bodies that are worried for their life, that are worried for their future, that are not sure how they're going to get out of this one. And so what do they do? Well, they're looking for their captain. (laughs) Who is their captain? Jesus. And what's he doing? Well, normally when you think of a sea captain, you think of them being kind of heroic maybe, or you see like paintings of of kind of captains commandeering their boat or standing like proud and brave at the front and leading their people through adversity. But where do we see Jesus? Well, he's not at the front of the boat telling them what to do. He's asleep. He's on the back, asleep on a cushion. He's snoring away. If he snores, I don't know, but <laughs> maybe let's make some assumptions here. He's in a deep sleep. I mean, yes, he was tired. He was preaching all day. He's been doing ministry nonstop, but there must be something else going on here. The disciples are probably screaming and yelling at each other how to take back control of the situation of the boat, how to save their lives. They're scared. They said, you know, we're perishing here. We're going to drown here. They realize the severity of the situation they're in. And yet Jesus is sleeping. Psalm 107 gives us a little bit of a picture of what this experience might have been like for the disciples when it describes a miracle that God did on the seas. So Psalm 107, 23 to 31, it says, Some went out onto the sea in ships. They were merchants on mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. And they mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. And in their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and they staggered like drunkards and they were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. 
and he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds for mankind. So Psalm 107 gives us this picture of these people out on a boat, maybe like these disciples, and they're, they're walking around like they're drunk because they can't get a firm foothold. They can't seem to get their balance, to get their bearings. They're doing everything they can to survive. Their courage melts away. And God, and only God, was able to still the storm to a whisper and to hush the sea. And so we're going to see in verse 38, there's another pivot here. <laughs> so there's a pivot from the plan into panic. And then there's a pivot from the panic into the purpose. And so we see Jesus in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And I love the disciples. They come and they wake him up. <laughs> and I just love how real they are. And they say, teacher, teacher, don't you care if we drown? In Matthew's gospel, they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And within that statement, they're revealing what they know about Jesus. They're revealing who they know him to be. So in Mark's gospel, they refer to him as teacher. They've seen him teach all day long. They've heard the words of God. They've heard the words of Jesus. And they've believed his words to be true. But now they have to believe him. They have to trust him. They have to trust that he is good. They have to trust that he loves them. They have to trust that he has all authority and power. But at this point, they only know him as teacher. They don't yet fully know him as the Lord of the wind and the waves. Sometimes we can have an intellectual knowledge of God. We can have an intellectual or theological or theoretical, philosophical understanding of who God is. Okay, God is good. I theoretically understand that. Okay, God is powerful. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's everywhere at once. I know these things about God. Oh, I know God's supposedly loving. I know these things about God. But it's not sometimes until we're in the storms of life, until we are experiencing these moments that seem completely opposite <laughs> to this intellectual knowledge that we've curated and collected that we really start to realize who Jesus is, that we have a revelation of his personhood rather than just his promises. And so for the disciples, they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? What they're really asking is, are you who you say you are? Can you really help me? Do you really love me? Don't those questions arise in our hearts and minds when we're in a storm of life? See, there was a storm happening outside the waves, the wind, the swamping of the boat, the staggering around. But there was a greater storm happening inside the disciples. Because inside the disciples comes out this question. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks, right? Teacher, don't you care? And when we're in hardship, when we're going through trials, we're going through a hard time. These questions will arise in us. Doesn't God care? The enemy of our souls often comes and attacks us with those kind of questions and says... If God really cared, did God really say? That's what happened to Jesus in the desert when he was tempted by Satan. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of this tree? Or, or to Jesus, right? Well, if you really are the son of God, do this or do that. 
So we have our natural fear, our natural emotions. Does God really care about me? Does he really love me? Does he really see me? Does he know what I'm going through? Or is he just asleep? Does he care? And then we have this attack, this amplification of the enemy says, no, he doesn't care. If he did, he would do something about this. If he did, you wouldn't be covered in water right now. You wouldn't have your hair all blown over the, all over the place. You wouldn't be worried for your life. He doesn't care at all. And so this question comes out of this place. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In verse 39, pivot from the panic. He got up. See, Jesus was a person of action. <laughs> he didn't stop them and say, okay, let's have a theological debate right now. If I really care, <laughs> let me tell you about some, you know, promises that I have. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Yes, that is true. He doesn't stop them to try to correct their theology at this point. He just acts. He shows them who he is. He shows them who he is by what he does. And so he gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. In Greek, it's more like be muzzled, like a muzzle you would put on a, on a, a wild rabid dog to keep it from biting you, to keep it from hurting you. And he says that to the wind and he says that to the waves. He says that to the storm on the outside, this external natural storm, quiet, be still. And it says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It's completely calm. So the storm on the outside is completely calm. Jesus deals with it. He created the wind. He created the water. He can control it. But now he's going to address the storm inside them. And in verse 40, he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? When I used to read this story, I would always get kind of um, offended or hurt by Jesus's questions on the behalf of the disciples, of course. But why are you so afraid? Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Of course I'm afraid. Look at what's going on. Do you still have no faith? Ow, now you're getting personal. <laughs> do you still have no faith? And I used to think he was like kind of accusing them like, you guys, come on, get it together. <laughs> but now I read it a little bit differently. I feel like it's an invitation. It's an invitation for them to bring their fear to him. Why are you so afraid? When you are in a storm of life, when there's a storm going on externally, there's often a storm going on internally too. Like, does God really care? Does he really know who, is he, who he says he is? What's going on? Ask yourself, why am I so afraid? And don't be afraid to answer that question. Why am I so afraid? Question. Answer, I'm afraid because I'm worried I won't be able to pay my bills next month. Why are you so afraid? Well, I'm afraid because my, my father or my mother is ill and I don't know if they're going to get better. Why are you so afraid? Well, I'm afraid because that friend betrayed me and I trusted them. I don't know if I can trust people again. Why are you so afraid? Well, I'm afraid because I feel like I'm in a dead end job and I don't know if there's any other prospects for me. And I don't want to be miserable the rest of my life. Why are you so afraid? I'm afraid because I don't know if God actually cares or he actually loves me. Don't be afraid to answer that question. Why are you so afraid? The answer to that question can become fuel for prayer. See, sometimes we think we have to hide our fear from God. God already knows. <laughs> he knows we're terrified. He knows the storm's scary. He gets it. 
And he asks them, why are you so afraid? He's asking them this question, letting themselves reflect. <laughs> why are you so afraid? And when we get to the end of that question, when we bring our fears to God, when we follow the verse that says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. When we actually start to cast our cares on him, then we start to kind of lighten the load of the things that are blocking and obscuring our view of who he really is. See, at first they only know him as teacher. Then they start to unravel and realize and receive a revelation of who he really is. And so when he says to them, do you still have no faith? I actually find this an encouraging statement and here's why. (laughs) Let me flip the script for you. Do you still have no faith? In other words, Jesus was able to still and calm the storm without them. (laughs) It wasn't dependent on how much faith they had. It wasn't dependent on how deep their trust was. It wasn't dependent on them at all. It was dependent on him. He had authority and power and control to deal with the storm apart from the works of his disciples. It wasn't based on their good works. It wasn't based on what they could strive to do to prove their worth to him. Like, oh, Lord, I believe. This wasn't one of those moments. This was one of the moments that he was saying, look, regardless of how much faith you have in me, regardless of how much trust you place in me, I am still God. I still have authority. I can still calm that storm. That's kind of encouraging to me. And you know what's also encouraging to me? That even though they might have no faith, that this is an opportunity for them to grow in faith. And that's a beautiful thing. Because verse 41, they were terrified and they asked each other. So they went from being afraid of the storm, afraid of the circumstances, to having this reverential fear, this awe, this wonder, this mystery at who is this? Who is this? They start to realize that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Plenty of religions think Jesus is a good teacher, but there's a difference between thinking, yeah, that's some good teaching there, Jesus, and being like, who is this? Because only God can do what you did. You must be God. Do we believe Jesus is God? Do we believe that he has ultimate authority, ultimate power, that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask, think, or imagine? Do we know this? Do we know him? Ask yourself, who is this? When God suddenly comes into your life, when he stills a storm, when he answers that prayer, when he shows up in a way that you did not expect, ask yourself, who is this? How is Jesus revealing who he really is to you, who he really is to me in these moments, in these moments of storms, in the storms outside, in the storms inside? Ask yourself, who is this? God, would you reveal yourself to me in a new way that I would realize that even the wind and the waves, they obey you. That there is nothing too big. There is nothing too large for God to deal with it in my life. There is nothing so small that he doesn't care. And there's nothing so big that he can't handle it. He can handle your life. He can handle your emotions. He can handle your dysfunctional family. He can handle your trauma and your past. He can handle it. He's in control. So we can trust him and and ask, who is this? And that's worship. This awe and this wonder that causes us to ask, who are you? Who are you? And you know what's great about Jesus? (laughs) 
it's like every time we think we know who he is, we're like, I got this down. You're a good teacher. (laughs) He begins to blow our minds again and again and again. And he shows us more and more and more of himself so that we can ask, who is this? That's the question that a worshipful heart asks. Who is this? You are faithful. Who is this? You are strong. Who is this? You are loving. Who is this? And we give praise and thanks to God. And so the purpose of this storm, this storm allowed them the opportunity to face their fears, not just the ones outside, but the ones inside. This storm allowed them the opportunity to realize that God can move. God can do whatever he wants. God can help us. God can be trusted even when I can't trust him. (laughs) God can be trusted even when I feel like I can't trust him. And this storm offered them the opportunity to ask the question, who is this? Today, no matter where you find yourself, and we're all here, you're either going into a storm, have just been in a storm, or going to be in one someday. That's part of life. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So the promise is we will have trouble, but we can find peace in him because he has overcome the world just as he has overcome the wind and the waves. So no matter what storm you find yourself in today, turn to the Prince of Peace It might seem like heavens are silent. It might seem like he's sleeping and he doesn't care. But the truth is, he can change your circumstance in a moment. He can change your heart and your perspective in an instant. Let's turn to him. Bring to him our fears. Bring to him our faith, our lack of trust. Let that be fuel for prayer rather than something we use to distance ourselves. And let's ask ourselves, who is this? Let's ask him, who are you? And allow the storms of life to reveal more to us about who God is and who he wants to be. Amen. So Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the one who comes and you can calm the wind and the waves. And then no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're going through, and no matter what will come, that you are Lord over all. And so we ask for a fresh revelation of who you are, that we would know you more and more each day. In your name we pray.